today. John uh, chapter 21, and we're going to cover the last 10 verses. So starting in 15, and we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but... If it will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written, written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, as we come to the end of our study in John, we just thank you for uh, our time together over the last year or so. And we just pray that you will bless our time this morning. And we pray that you will use your word to change us and be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the story so far, right? We started last week. Uh, Jesus has appeared on uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Several of the disciples had been fishing all night. Hadn't caught anything. He cat tells them to cast the net on the other side. And wow, what a catch. Right, 153 fish to be exact. Uh, John recognizes immediately it's the Lord after this happened, right? And then Peter jumps in. He swims to the shore. And the others brought uh, the boat into shore. And then Jesus offered them breakfast. And so now in this final section, this final passage, the focus is squarely on Jesus and Peter. And now, so let's look at this final exchange uh, or this final interchange uh, recorded by John. Verse 15, the first half of it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a couple of things we need to look at in this verse, uh, specifically two words. Okay, the one word, the first thing we need to look at is the use of the word love. Okay, and Jesus said, do you love me more than these? Well, we know that in Scripture there are uh, three Greek words that can be translated love. Um, the first is eros, which is, uh, refers to sexual love, erotic love. Uh, the second is philio, which refers to brotherly love, right? Uh, that's why 
the city of Philadelphia, right, is known as the city of brotherly love, right? That's the name of it, right? That's the, that's the city and because of the word, the root word, the Greek word, philio. Uh, the third uh, use, or the third Greek word translated love, is agape. That's what we've usually referred to as godlike love, or the highest form of love, or a, a spiritual love that is rooted in the, in the love for God. Okay, that's the highest form. Now, in the question here, when Jesus poses the question, he uses the Greek form of the word agape. He uses that form. So he's He's asking Peter if he had the highest form of love for him. That's the question that Jesus poses Peter. The second of these words we need to look at is these. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? So what's he referring to? It's a little bit ambiguous here, isn't it? Who or even what is he referring to when he says these? There's a couple possibilities. One is that Jesus was asking him, do you love me more than these things which have been a part of your life? What have they just got done doing? Fish, fishing, right? Boats and fishing and and nets and and those things. He he was saying, do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than all your lifestyle? Am, Am I more important than your career or your profession? Right? That's one possibility that Jesus was saying. In fact, I think it was um, MacArthur's study Bible. He said that he thinks is that's what Jesus was saying here. Another option. Another option is that he was asking, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? That's another option of these, right? Is he referring to the other disciples? Still, there is a third option. A third um, possibility is Jesus saying, do you love me more than these other men love me? Do you see the difference? Do you love me more than your nets, your fishing gear, your vocation? Do you love me more than the other men love me? Or do you love, or excuse me, or do you love me more than them? So this last one, this third option, okay, is where Dr. Sproul says, I believe we're at. He says, I believe, Jesus was asking, do you love me more than these other men love me? You see the difference, right? Dr. Sproul says, I I think that's where he is. Now he says, with the caveat, we can't be exactly sure, can we? We're not in the heart of of our Savior here. So we can't be exactly sure. But Dr. Sproul says, my educated guess is that he was saying that third option. Uh, Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Why? Why does Dr. Sproul think that? Well, he thinks that because if you remember uh, Jesus' teaching over in Luke 7, Jesus taught that, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. If you remember this teaching over in Luke 7. The corollary to that teaching is also true, right? He who is forgiven much, loves much. That's a true, that's a true teaching, right? Peter understood in this circumstance, he, he, he knew that, uh, and this is Dr. Spool's take on this, he, he understood that of those around him, these other men, these other disciples, that he had betrayed Christ more deeply than all the rest. So therefore, in his uh, being forgiven, which he he is being forgiven, he's being restored, and now Jesus has called him in to ministry, right? Ministry of Christ. Rather than being cut off, okay, because of his betrayal, he saw the grace of God more fully than all the rest. 
Again, Dr. Sproul says, I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he's asking Peter here. Do you love me more than these other men love me? Again, can we be absolutely sure? We can't. Right, there's some other opinions on this. I think I, I told you MacArthur. MacArthur said, do, he thinks this, do you love me more than all this other stuff? Basically, your career, your profession. Which is a legitimate question, right? Should we not love Jesus more than our jobs? Right? What we do for a living? Absolutely, we should love him more. Can I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am. I just find that an interesting take. I, I've never read Dr. Crow's thing on that. I mean, it certainly could be that. But in my mind, that promotes pride. Um, it, it just, it, it, it's a question. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying when I say mm-hmm. that? Because it seems to me. That if he's, Peter's already struggled with, and some of them have already struggled with, we want to sit at your right hand, we want to do this, we want to mm-hmm. do that. Do you love me more than they? I, I don't know. I just find that interesting. It is. It's an interesting take. Also, there, there, there are several different takes on this. I told you MacArthur's that Calvin had. Uh, let me think. I read Calvin's commentary too on it. Not sure he specifically says one or the other. I think he leans towards. Uh, the other men. Do you love me more than the other men? Or do you love me more than you love them? I think I don't remember. Pastor, you had your hand up? I was just going to ask about, just from what you read, um, some of what Jesus has said about following him, that you, he who loves me has to hate his own father and mother and brother. And part of the, the sin that was kind of at the, the nexus for why this happened was his walking away and esteeming the, the fear of man more than he did esteem the Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the little servant girl and the other people who said, hey, aren't you aren't you one of those people? And he loved their opinion more than he loved what Jesus told them about who he was. And I I don't know if, if, if anybody commented on this, but I kind of wonder if, if why he's asking this question is, do you... Do you love me more than you love the praise, the empty praise of men and the esteem of people? Because uh, you're going to have to take up your cross, Peter, and follow me. Right. That's a, that's a legitimate take. It's a good. It makes it makes sense, doesn't it? Given what Peter had done, his situation, his the circumstances uh, surrounding. It. So. And how would Peter have known how much they loved him? It's like you evaluate how much you love your children, saying, you know, I spend a lot of time with them. Love me more than and Grace loves me, or more than Samuel loves me, or you know what I mean? I don't know. You, Peter's not going to be able to evaluate that. He doesn't know how much the other ones love Jesus. It's a good question. I think all we again we can't be a hundred percent sure. I think all of them. There's we can learn something from all those takes. I believe, I, and I like uh, Matthew's uh, comment on that too. Well, again, for the purposes of the study, that's what he thinks. It's okay, right? We can have a different opinion. Again, he made it clear we can't be exactly sure. Even Dr. Sproul said that, right? But going with that take and Sproul's study, the second half of verse 15, so do you love me more than these, right? And then he, Peter, now we're back to Peter. Peter answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, there is some irony in the answer, okay? When you remember back uh, when Jesus predicted Peter's denial over in Matthew 26, Peter replied, he said to this, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will not deny you. 
Peter was, and this is again, this is back, back in time a little bit, right? A couple of weeks here or whatever, right? Uh, you remember, remember when Jesus, so when Jesus told him that, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. He was adamant about it, wasn't he? Peter was saying, no, no Lord, you don't know what I'm going to do, right? You don't know what's in my heart. I would never deny you. It's kind of what Peter's answer was, right? It was You're wrong, Jesus. I'm not going to do that. Now here, do you see a difference? There's a little difference in Peter's heart, his attitude, right? Here on the seashore, now, we've just eaten breakfast with Jesus, it appears that Peter has learned his lesson to not argue with Jesus' words. Okay, don't argue with this man, right? He is the Son of God. And not to dispute Jesus' words. It appears that he has learned his lesson. Now, we talked about the use of the word love. Okay, all commentators note that in his response, Peter used not the Greek word agape like Jesus used, but Peter used the Greek word philia. Okay, remember Jesus, when he asked it, he uses agape. Peter answers with philia. Now, some think that Jesus was challenging Peter to a higher form of love, a higher love that he had uh, demonstrated up to this point. He's basically trying to take it up a notch, right? Others point out uh, that, J- that John has, in his book, used both words, filio and agape, interchangeably. And so maybe the change in words is not significant. Dr. Sproul said, I think that's the case here. And this is his point. Said, I don't think Peter was saying, this is Sproul's words, I don't think Peter was saying, I love you, but not to the degree that you want me to. After all, Peter had, P- Peter had just said, you, you know the answer to the question, Lord, when you ask it. You know it. Okay? Now, what's, again, it's, it's words, it's different words. Can we be exactly sure? Not 100%, right? But what's probably, and Sproul quickly moves, is what's more important here? What's more important is what Jesus says is now required of Peter. That's the more important question, Right? Verse, the, second, the third part of verse 15. So he says, you love me, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, Jesus says what? He said to him, feed my lambs. <coughs> if, if Peter's going to be restored, if he's going to be a pastor, right? He's going to be a shepherd to Christ's flock, then he has to do what? He has to feed the lambs. That's, part, that's going to be his mission, right? Verses 16 through 17, he said to him a second time, Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now one point that Dr. Sproul makes here is that a lot of people had made uh, much to do about the variation in terms listed here in Jesus' uh, statements to Peter. He said, feed my lambs, first time. Second time he said, tend my sheep. The third time he said, feed my sheep. Some would say, well, the lambs represent new converts and the sheep are the old ones and there's a difference between tending and feeding. Eh. I, and he was, I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind here to make these variations. Now, one thing I do know from, because we farm, right? 
There is a little difference. There's some nuances between feeding and tending. Would you not agree? There's some differences there, right? Um, I see it from a farming perspective. There's a little bit of, it's easy just to go feed an animal. But if you're tending an animal, then you're caring for it. You're, you're, you're making sure it's got what it needs to thrive, right? It's a little more than just feeding something, right? So there's a little bit of nuance there, a little difference there. But he's saying here in the, in the way Jesus is using the words that we can't get too hung up on the different terms and what he may mean something significant here. He was, Sproul said, he's simply saying this, okay, to Peter. In, different, in other words, if you want to be a pastor, if you want to be a shepherd, then you've got to feed my sheep. Don't starve them. You have to make them your highest concern. <clears throat> Now, for a moment, uh, Dr. Sproul spends some time talking about worship. Okay, because he, what's the setting? Jesus is challenging Peter. Okay, he's, cha- he, he's already called him to be a pastor, to be a, 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 an apostle right on his behalf. Dr. Sproul said, we are, and this is a quote from him, we are, in, in modern times, we are witnessing a great tragedy and the revolution of worship in the United States. Following the model of sinker-sensitive worship is harming the church. The idea is that if you want your church to grow, you must design worship to meet the desires and the interests of non-Christians. Now, what's your first reaction when you hear that? Because that's what the sinker-sensitive movement is about in modern worship. Okay, Worship service is designed to do what? To meet the desires and interests of non-Christians. What do you think about that? Pandering. Sir? Pandering. Pandering, okay. They can get their need, need, those needs met outside the church. Okay. Anybody else? Hmm. It's another, I, I agree with kind of what you guys are saying. Um, the, and, and let's, so let's move on. I don't want to get too hung up there. Um, we do believe, in one sense, right, in a seeker-sensitive worship, but not in the way that the modern world is applying it, okay? And we need to explain this a little bit, right? What does the Bible teach about people in their natural state? Do they seek after God? Man in his fallen state. And I say man, men, women, children, right? Everybody. Man in their fallen state, they're, they're, before being converted, They do not seek after God. That's scriptural. No man seeks after God. It's only when a person is regenerated, right? When they are converted, when they are regenerated, they seek after God. Jonathan Edwards said that seeking after God should be the main business of the life of the Christian. Did you ever think about that that way as a believer? Seeking after God should be the main business of your life. Man. That's kind of tough, isn't it? Look at how much of my day and my week, right? Am I spent seeking after God? Is it a couple hours on Sunday morning? I don't know. That's a, that's a challenge, challenging question, right? Dr. Sproul mentioned his own conversion experience. He says uh, he was saved while he was in college. He said a couple of he and his buddies were heading out uh, one night to go whatever, hang out or whatever, and uh, he realized he didn't have any cigarettes. Now, I didn't know Dr. Sproul smoked cigarettes back in the day, but apparently he did, okay? So 
he was he was out of and I'm not judging there. I'm not saying anything. Don't y'all don't read anything into that, okay? Um, but he said uh, he, he realized, okay, I don't have any cigarettes. You know how these guys do? They're, they're patting everything, right? Hey, no cigarettes. So he goes back inside to a cigarette machine. Who remembers those? I remember those, right? The cigarette machines. We don't have those anymore, right? Young people have no clue what that is. So he goes back in. He buys a pack of Luckies, right? Anybody here ever bought a pack of Luckies? No judgment here. So no judgment zone. We're not going to. Lucky strike. Lucky strike. No. So, hey, and guess what he paid for him? He paid a quarter. Okay. He paid a quarter for a pack of Luckies, right? So he goes in the machine, drops a quarter, gets a pack of Luckies. He turned around, and there was a guy standing there, a fellow standing there in the system stairwell. And he said, this man, he said, I know he's a student or something, but he told me about Jesus for the first time. He said, now, I wasn't seeking Jesus. I was seeking cigarettes. <laughs> he said, but praise the Lord, I found Jesus. And he did. He found Jesus looking for a cigarette, right? He made the point that seeking after God starts when? After conversion. That's when it starts. It do, but, but it doesn't end there, right? It never ends there. It grows, right? It grows. So back to this worship service, right? Back to a seeker-sensitive where he said, we, so we believe in that, but not in the same way that the modern people would believe. A, a truly seeker-sensitive worship is service is designed for Christians. A truly seeker-sensitive worship service is designed for Christians. True believers, the ones who've been called out of the world, they gather on Sunday morning to be fed. Right? They gather to be fed. Now, yes. That doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be a feel good. Right, right. And we're going, yes, you're right. We're going to keep building on this. He says, of course, yes, are there other things we're to be doing? Evangelism? Absolutely, we are to be doing evangelism, right? Are we to be doing outreach? Absolutely, we are to be doing outreach. Are we to be involved with mercy ministries? Yes, of course. We're to do all those things, right? But Sunday morning worship belongs to the sheep. Okay, it belongs to the sheep. And it is the task of the pastor to feed the sheep. If anyone comes in to our worship service who is not a sheep, and we hope they do, right? We hope our worship is inviting. People feel welcome to come in. If one does come in who is not a sheep, they are not a believer. Let them come in. Come on in. But we should not change the menu. We should not change the menu and give the sheep goat's food. That's Sproul's words. Wonderful imagery, right? We should not change the menu. Menu. Worship is for the sheep. Hmm. Now why did Jesus put so much emphasis on feeding the sheep? When God's sheep, His people, believers, are properly fed and they're nurtured and they're tended to, they will become like the most mighty army in the world and they can turn the world upside down when God's people are properly fed. As a baby, we know this, right? Babies have almost no influence on culture, do they? Almost none, right? They have to grow up. 
have to grow up into maturity before you can have influence in the culture. That is what happens when believers are fed. Not just milk only, but they step it up. They are fed meat. They are fed the heart. And how are they fed? How are Christians fed? By one way only. The Word of God. By the Word of God. Nothing else will do. There is no substitute for the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. That is why our worship service is designed and centered and focused around what? The preaching of the Word, which is different than teaching, right? This is teaching. What we do on Sunday morning in the worship service is preaching. There is a difference. I will tell you, okay? Having done, there's a big difference, okay? Now notice a couple of things that Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say this to Peter. Peter, if you love me, feed the goats. He didn't say that. The goats, in this image, right? Sheep is believers, goats, non-believers, right? He did not say, if you love me, feed the goats. Jesus did not say, Peter, if you love me, take care of your flock. Feed your sheep. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? He says, feed my sheep. He said, feed my lambs. He said, tend my sheep. Dr. Sproul said, he says, this is his words kind of paraphrasing in another way. He says, if you love me, Peter, if I make you a pastor, whatever else you do, take care of my sheep. Feed them, tend them, strengthen them. Those who are called as pastors are under shepherds, giving the task of tending Jesus' sheep. That is job number one for our pastors. That is the most important thing. MacArthur's study Bible said this about um, this section. He said, the essential message here is that Jesus demands total commitment from his followers. And that's all of us there, right? All of it demands total commitment from all of us. Their love for him must place him above their love for all else, right? The nets, the fishing, all that stuff. It's got you got to love him more than that. Got to love him from your job. You got to love him more than your job. What you do, right? Jesus confronted Peter with that love because he wanted Peter to lead the apostles. We learned that from Matthew 16. But in order for Peter to be an effective shepherd, his overwhelming drive must exemplify supreme love for his Lord. He must love God above all. Right, And a word of encouragement from Calvin. He says, And indeed, nothing could have been spoken that was better fitted to encourage the ministers of the gospel than to inform them that no service can be more agreeable to Christ than that which is bestowed upon feeding his flock. You hear what he's saying? Pastors, ministers, ours is here with us this morning. We're thankful for him. Calvin said, There is no greater service, that can, there's no service that can be more agreeable to Christ than that which is bestowed upon feeding his flock. Hmm. John, John tells us that Jesus asked Peter a third time, Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time. Now, we can see the significance of him asking Peter this three times, right? He asked him three times, do you love me? Why? 
Because how many times had Peter denied him? Three times. There's a direct connection here. It's tied to the restoration of Peter. Now Jesus switches gears just a little bit. Verses 18 through 19. It says, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying for what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now what we know um, about the life of Peter and, and about, uh, so at the time this conversation would have happened on the shore of Galilee, it would be about 30 years later. About 30 years later when, when Peter would be executed. He would be martyred for his faith. He'd be executed at the hands of Nero in Rome, the emperor. Now, if you remember what tradition holds about his execution, he was crucified, right? And he was crucified upside down. Why? He did not want to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. That's what tradition holds. We don't have that in Scripture, but that's what tradition holds, right? John says about these, the, these words, he, he offers these cryptic words, right, of Jesus. He says here, he says, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. These, these cryptic words from Jesus were Jesus' prophetic words about how Peter's life would end. Still, Jesus said to Peter what? He said, follow me. Very simple two words, right? That they've all heard before, right? When Jesus called them out of their earthly ministries, right? He said, follow me. I'll do what? I'll make you fishers of men. He's been telling them about this for three years. And now he is about to turn over this ministry uh, to the apostles. He's about to empower them. And Jesus says, follow me. Now he, he just said, just told Peter, you're going to die a tragic death. He didn't say exactly right, but he just, he just told him what's coming for you. Now, how would you take that, right? I'm calling you into ministry and about, the, and he didn't give him a time, right? But at some time in the future, you're going to die at the hands of another. In other words, you're not going to live to be a ripe old, ripe old age and die of natural causes. Something else is going to happen to you. Hmm. Oh, would you be second guessing this calling here a little bit? Be tempted to maybe, right? But we know that despite these, these prophetic words from Jesus, Peter uh, did do that. He did follow Christ, right? We know that. We know based in Acts, we know the sermons after Pentecost, uh, Peter did follow Jesus and, and praise the Lord. He did feed the Lord's sheep, didn't he? He preached one sermon and how many were added after Pentecost? 3,000. Was it some just amazing sermon? It was Peter. What? It was Peter preaching the words of the Lord. That's what the Lord uses, doesn't he? The pastors, the preachers, the ministers are his mouthpiece, but who's, who's doing the work? God's doing the work, right? He's using his word through his ministers. That's why we put such a high, uh, high place in our service. The preaching of the word is central. Nothing else. We're not here to do what? We're not here to be entertained, right? We don't need a light show. We don't need a fancy 
uh, sound system to do. All, we don't need, you know, all this smoke and mirrors. We need the preaching of the word to be central, right? That is central because why? That's what God says. That's how he changes the world. That's how he changes people through the preaching of his word. Not any of those other things. So Peter did follow Jesus. and He did feed his sheep. We know that. John tells us here in verses 20 and 21, it says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, we know he's talking about who? He's talking about John, right? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Hmm. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John himself, right? That's the way he would refer to himself in the narrative in the Gospel of John. He would always refer to him as that. So apparently he has heard the conversation. He's nearby, right? He says he's, he's following, he's nearby, he's listening, he's, he's heard the conversation uh, between Jesus and Peter here on the seashore. And so Peter is aware that John is nearby, he's listening. And so Peter, looking, looking at John, he says to the Lord, Lord, what about him? Well, you, you just told me a lot, right? You told me what's going to happen one day. Well, what about him? What about John? Now, it's, we can't be 100% sure. It's not 100% clear what Peter was talking about when he says, what about him? What about this man? Okay, we can't be 100% sure of what he's saying. But Sproul said, let's just assume for a minute that Peter's asking this. Lord, you've told me what will happen. What about John? In other words, you've told me how I'm going to die. What about him? How's he going to die? Or is he? Or, or what? What's going to happen? Right? Now, why did he ask this question? Well, he may have asked it because Peter loved John. Right? He's, he, he loves, he's an intimate friend and he's concerned about John's future. Lord, Lord, is the same thing going to happen to him? Could be what was in his mind, right? You've told me what's going to happen to me. Is that the same thing going to happen to my, my brother John? Well, what does history tell us about John? <coughs> history tells us, tradition tells us that he's the only apostle that was not martyred for his faith, right? But did he escape persecution? No. Right? We know how John's and he was he was exiled, right? To the island island of Patmos, right? Where he where he did what? He wrote the book of Revelation, right? So he didn't escape persecution, but as far as we know, he was not martyred. But how did Jesus respond? Verse 22 to the question, what's gonna happen to this man? If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Hmm. Hmm. Said, ouch, right? Yes. Kind of stern response, isn't it? Right? It's it's now now in, in John and here in verse 23, John uh, puts some editorial comment, right? Because why? Because John's quoted, Jesus said this, and John tells us, right, he's telling us now that this has been widely misunderstood, what Jesus said, right? He says it, he explains this in verse 23. He says, then this saying about what um, Jesus said to Peter, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple, he's referring to himself, would not die. Yeah, Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he will remain till I come, what is that to you? 
So what is John telling us here? Many people kind of took this and saying that John would be alive all the way to the second coming, till Jesus returned, right? And John says, what? No, wait a minute. That's not what Jesus said, right? I was there. That is not what Jesus said, and that is not what he meant, right? Jesus was simply telling Peter, what happens to John is of no concern to you. Hmm. Kind of a little bit of a, it was a nice way of saying, hey, don't worry about that. Don't worry about what's going to happen to John. Right? That is no concern to you. I'm not going to tell each one of you what's going to happen. Right? You, Peter, you follow me. Right? You follow me and you do what I require of you. Don't worry about what's going to happen to John. Now, Christ's answer uh, signified that what? That his primary concern, he's talking to Peter, primary concern for Peter is not John. Don't be worried about John, but his continued devotion to the Lord. You, don't worry about John, you follow me. That's what your mission is. The, again, his, his answer about concern and about priority, um, Christ is telling him that, that for Peter, you're all consuming passion. Everything that consumes you must be, must, must be me and, and the ministry to us, feeding uh, to me, to feeding the lambs feeding the sheep, and nothing can detract you from it, being that focused. Now, Dr. Sproul points out here that it's often uh, with the case, uh, Peter uh, is a picture of us when we ask, get asked, when, when he gets asked this question, right? Uh, if We kind of think of it this way. If, if the Lord gives me one thing, then I think everybody should get it. Or if I don't get something, you know, I'd say, well, what's the matter with me? Why didn't I get it? You know, somebody gives, you get a gift, and well, why didn't I get one too? We had this conversation in my very house last week. No joke, true. I love my children. She gets something brand new, why don't I get something brand new? That's a fun conversation to have. The fact is that the Lord has jobs for each one of us, doesn't he? He has jobs for each one of us. And what others do, how they are serving in the kingdom is ultimately none of our business. God is the one who calls people into service into his kingdom. And they're different callings. We've talked about this before. Each one of us must do what? We must do what God has given us to do. We must not be looking, why well, you didn't give that to him? Why didn't you give it to me? No. Just, made, just imagine, that's none of your business. Don't worry about that. You follow me. You can take the same words, right, and apply them to yourself. And John goes on, he says, verse 24. This is the disciple, again he's referring to himself, who testifies of these things and wrote of these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now why does John uh, feel the need to establish his own credibility? Well, as a Jew, uh, he knew the sanctity of an oath before God. And he knew the punishment for bearing false witness, right? So here at the very end of his gospel, he takes an oath and he says, we know this testimony to be true. Now, he's using the editorial we, right? And Dr. Sproul's take, he says, when he says we, he's saying that in the sight of himself and God, we. He's been, he's, remember, the scriptures were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that we, referring to himself and the sight of God, that he, what he has written is true. It's true. He's testifying to it. 
In verse 25, he says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. What's, what's John saying? Is I, I've, just, I've just given you the tip here. This is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. If I were to write down everything that he did, the world could not contain the books. R.C. said this. He says, but we have enough, don't we? He says, I can't contain the Gospel of John. Can you contain the Gospel of John? Absolutely not. The record we have that John has given us is enough. It is enough to whet our appetite and for us to keep coming back again and again and again. Right? Why, after all, did he write these things? Why did he write this book? We're almost done. We read it two weeks ago, right? What's the purpose in this book? But the, this is chapter 20. But these were written. This is John's written. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That's why he wrote the book, right? That's why this is written down. This has been fun. This has been a great study. I've enjoyed it immensely. The bell has rung, so let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time. Father, we thank you for this study that's taken us a better part of over a year. Uh, Father, we just thank you for uh, this time that we've studied in John. Father, we just ask that it, uh, as we leave this place this morning, Father, uh, prepare our hearts for our worship service. Father, be with our pastor. Father, thank you for him. Thank you for his ministry in this church. And Father, we pray that uh, we'll always remember to pray for him, uh, that he may be strengthened. Father, that he may be protected from the attacks of the devil. Father, he'll be well physically and mentally and spiritually, Father, and that you will continue to, to move in him and to speak through him in our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.